please be seated, and as you're having your seat, we'll invite uh, Pastor Mark Chansky to please come forward and preach the Word of God. Thank you very much for being here, brother, and for proclaiming the Word of God. Great privilege to be able to be here yes. this morning. Coming to California can be a daunting thing for a Midwesterner. We hear a lot about the uh, Republic of California, but to be able to be greeted there in the LA area by Troy Lambert, I was able to be with him yesterday morning. We did some taping together, and then after that session, I was able to have some coffee together with Robert Elliott. Those are two of God's finest in the kingdom. And having been refreshed by that fellowship, I headed northward, and I had no idea what a desert wilderness is between Riverside and Ridgecrest. And I thought, what, what good thing can come out of Ridgecrest as I was driving through the desert? But as I arrived here, I realized that the Lord is able to make water burst forth from a dry rock. As coming here and uh, meeting with Lynn, I've... I've, I've met with Lynn in the past decades ago back in New Jersey, and we've talked in the telephone, but I was really encouraged, and my eyes were brightened by my fellowship with him. Also, we met with Alex and walked through the church building, and I woke up refreshed and looking forward to fellowship. We had our uh, early Sunday school hour together, and I'm very thankful that this church in Ridcrest is joining arms together with the Reformed Baptist Network, and I really look forward to that fellowship that we can have together as parts of the body of Christ in different places throughout the globe. But now our desire isn't to focus on Reformed Baptist Network. Our desire is to focus on the living God. So let's come and take our Bibles and turn to Psalm 68. Psalm 68, and let's just read together verse 5. Psalm 68 and verse 5. Notice what it says there. A father to the fatherless and a judge for the widows is God in his holy habitation. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we, we, we thank you that we've received an invitation to come to your house. And as we count, there are more than two or three here. And you have promised that in such situations that you will be in our midst. And we do think of how on that first Lord's Day, uh, the Lord Jesus strolled on the road to Emmaus and that when the scriptures were opened, men's hearts burned within. We pray that would be our lot. So come, Lord Jesus, walk among us. We pray that we would even sense your robe brushing up against us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. A man named Glenn Staunton tells of passing through the Kansas City airport and seeing a dividing wall and above that dividing wall in the airport, an amazing thing. He saw, listen to me now, he saw an infant flying. Now, just, just for a second. And then the infant dropped below the dividing wall. But then 
It happened again and again. The infant kept flying up and down. So Staunton ventured around the corner to see just what he expected. And guess what that was? That was a father. And it was a father who was doing the tossing. And of course, the mother was nowhere in sight when such a thing takes place. And then later, while in Asia, Staunton, he, he saw a Chinese dad doing the very same thing with the babies giggling in China, eloquently communicating delight right across the language divide. And Staunton concluded that, well, child tossing is just universal then. Well, what a profound lesson for the baby who's learning to figure out his world. He or she gasps uh, before his, uh, her breath he has this sheer terror within him. He's flying in the air and he's thinking to himself, holy cannoli, as he flies. Lesson number one, this world is a very scary place. That's what the child learns. And then gravity kicks in and he plummets down into the strong hands of his dad. And that brings lesson number two, that though this world seems scary, it's really safe because dad is there with me. You see, this kind of fatherly psyche confidence and comfort building is a universal thing when dads like Paul toss their little Nathan up and down. In fact, uh, George MacDonald, who's the mentor of C.S. Lewis and J.R. Tolkien, he claimed this, listen, fatherhood is the very core of the universe. There, at the helm of our world is an ever-faithful and reliable, loving Father who holds this world together. And so this gives us a confident and comfortable security that enables us to hold ourselves together even when circumstances seemingly leave us free-falling toward disaster. Just to know that there is a Father there to catch us makes all the difference in the world. Now, that's a happy and a universal truth to consider, isn't it? But sadly, for many, it's, it's not a very happy personal thing to ponder. And that's because for many, Father's Day isn't a sweet and soothing day at all, but instead it's kind of a sour and painful day because for some, Dad didn't lovingly catch them, right? But for some here, Dad savagely dropped you, leaving you to see the world maybe not as a safe place, but as a, maybe as a sadistic place, or maybe even less extreme, at least a very hurtful place. And this is epidemically so in our 2022 broken, dysfunctional society, isn't it? So let's explore this theme of fatherhood at the core of the universe. We want to use three main heads here to unpack that theme. And the first of the three heads is the eternal pre-creation ideal. Think about that with me. The eternal pre-creation ideal. Think of how before the universe was, fatherhood was. It predated even the created universe. Fatherhood was there, and it was there in a perfect way, that there 
universe has a core, it has a cornerstone, and the world was built basically by fatherhood. Right at the center, at the hub of everything, is fatherhood. I have in my garage my mountain bike, and the front tire has a hub. There are 36 spokes that come out from the hub, and without that hub, those 36 spokes would go in every different direction, but there is a sprocket there, isn't there? There is a hub at the center of it all, so it doesn't all fly apart. Well, likewise, you know what's at the center of the universe? Fatherhood. And it holds everything together. Fatherhood holds the universe together. Look at that text, Psalm 68.5. A father to the fatherless, a judge for the widows, is God in his holy habitation. Fatherhood is at the core, at the hub. It is the sprocket of the whole universe. Think with me scripturally now. John 17, 24. Jesus says this, Father, you did love me before the foundation of the world. Look, before the first stone was even set in the world, fatherhood was already there. There was this intimate, inter-Trinitarian union of love between father and son at the core, at the epicenter of the universe. You see, everything emanates from fatherhood, so says the scriptures. Think of John 1.1. In the beginning was what? The Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. There's this inter-Trinitarian oneness. And we see Father and Son, this relationship predated the universe. In fact, Father and Son built the universe. There's that passage in Proverbs 8 and verse 30 where it says, I, the Son speaking, the eternal wisdom, the Logos, I, Jesus speaking, says, I was beside him, my Father, as a master workman. I was daily his delight. You see the Father and Son love fest there. I was daily his delight. Delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in his earth. Father and son created the universe. Imagine when the son created a dolphin and there was joy. And then the father maybe created alongside together a hummingbird. And there was delight between the two of them. You see, from that father-son love fest emanated the whole world, the whole universe. Genesis 1.1 and following. Let us make the heavens and the earth. Let there be light. And there was light. And then there was, listen, Genesis 1. There was night and day and heaven and earth and sky and sea and plants and sun and moon and planets and stars and birds and fish and beasts and man and woman. And the Father and the Son brought them all into existence. Fatherhood holds it all together. And so Jesus could say on the night in which he was betrayed, glorify me, Father, together with yourself. Father, glorify me with the glory that I had with you before the world was. So you see, think about it. Fatherhood is not merely a figure that's familiar to us so that God uses it like as an anthropomorphism, a man form, saying, you know what fatherhood is like? And he says, I'm kind of like a father to you in that sense. Like God says, I have an eye. My eyes roam throughout the earth, but God doesn't really have an eye. Or God has an ear he can hear, but God doesn't really have an ear. And, and God is a father, but he's not really a father. Oh, no. God is really a father. He is our father 
who is in heaven. He is a father to the son. Fatherhood and sonship is at the core of the universe. Again, look at our text. A father to the fatherless and a judge for widows is God in his holy habitation. And so John 1 and John 17 and Genesis 1, they present a world that is not a sprocketless world. A world that flies apart. It's not, it's not a chaotic world. It's an orderly world. God is at the core of this world. Our world is not vulnerable to flying apart at any moment. This world is not a dark place, an empty place, a threatening place, a chaotic or an impersonal place. That's the God of the nihilist. That's the God of the atheist. That's the God of that philosopher who says, there is no God. If you go to the helm of the universe, the nihilist, the atheist says, you know what's at the core of the universe? An empty eye socket. Nobody's home. Nobody's there. But that's not the universe we know of. Instead, we know at the core of the universe is a father. And so this universe is a, is a warm place. It's a relational place. It's a personal place. This world in which we live in, because there is a father at the hub of it all, at the core of it all, this is a very safe place that we live in. It says in Deuteronomy 33, 17, the eternal God is what? A dwelling place. And underneath are everlasting arms with hands to catch us when we fear we are dangerously free-falling toward disaster. There is a God with everlasting arms. Loving fatherhood is eternally there. Meditate on this truth. Like little children who learn early on. We learn from this. This is, this is a, a mind-blowing thing. This is a universe-shifting thing. This is a soul-bracing thing. We sing about it sometimes, don't we? We sing what? This is my what? Ah, it is so comforting to live a life and think that way. This is my Father's world, and to my listening ears all nature sings, and round me rings the music of the spheres. This is my Father's world. I rest me in the thought of rocks and trees and skies and seas. His hands the wonders have wrought. Oh, those hands that are there to catch us when we're free-falling fearfully. There is a dad who is there for us. You see, my father is at the core of it all. When I was a little, I, I had a great dad. My dad died when he was 70 young, too young, way too young. Father's Day impacts my heart and my soul. I remember sitting in my dad's lap, and he would sing to me in my dad's lap. I still see him sitting in my sister's lap because she's about 12 years younger than I. He used to sing. He's, my dad was a profound theologian. He sing, he's got the whole world in his hand. He's got the whole world in his hands. And so... I, I, I learned from, from this and under life, if, if, if the God in heaven is like my God who sits in that rocking chair, then I am a secure person. It is well with my soul, and that creates children and people who, who know of good dads that are 
well-adjusted people and tranquilly at rest people and brimming with joy people and just giggling through the flights of life people knowing that our sovereign father is there and and, and the one he, he's like the one who rocks in the chair that's why I looked at it because I had a good dad one would rock in that chair he's he's a he's a shadow of the one who is on the heavenly throne and and who sits on the heavenly throne is, is he sinister is he selfish? Is he abusive? Oh, no, no, you pull back the curtains. If he's like my dad, he's a good God, because like in Genesis 1, everything he did, he created, it was good. It was good. It was very good. Was he, is he a God who is righteous? Oh, Isaiah 6 speaks of his being there. He's, he sits in that throne. He's holy, holy, holy. Exodus 33 says that he is the the God who is the Lord, the Lord, the gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. That's the Father who sits on that throne in the core of the universe. And that's the pre-eternal, pre-creation ideal of who God is. He's a Father. And He comforts us in these flights of life when sometimes our stomach comes up to our throat and we wonder, where are we going? And there are those eternal godly, holy hands to catch us. But can it be secondly then? Secondly to the idea of the painful post-fall real, having seen the eternal pre-creation ideal. The painful post-fall real. Though the eternal good Father is creator at the core of our world, oftentimes sitting in the rocking chair of our lives, that's not what we see Today, is it? Sometimes when we see the men who are fathers in society today, we are bombarded with a contrary testimony. I shouldn't be that way because men who now are rocking in chairs or even guys who are sitting up in booths holding little Nathans, they're there to be made in the image of God, right? So on the earth, they're to reflect the God who is in heaven, made in the image of God. And so, rightly, a, a Paul who's got a Nathan is to be an iconic display of who God is. So that when Nathan thinks to himself, what is God like? He can see a mirror of God in his dad. It's a father's earthly obligation to be able to have his children study him and then be able to reflect on that's what God the Father is like. But, but sadly, there was a certain Christian counselor who, who told the tale of having a counselee uh, in his office telling about the dad that he had. And the counselee said, my dad, my dad scarred me. I still remember when I was very young, my dad put me up on the porch and he told me, okay, you jump down into my hands. And the boy was afraid. Come on, trust me, trust me. And the little boy jumped down and his stomach went up to his throat, but his dad caught him. His dad stepped back, another big step, and said, okay, jump again. I don't know. He, he jumped again, and his dad caught him. And dad took another big step back. He says, okay, jump. And when he jumped, the dad pulled back, and the boy hit his face on the concrete sidewalk. And he said, dad, why did you do that? He said, in response, the dad said, just a little life lesson. Never trust anyone. And that scarred. And that shattered the boy's view of the wilderness, the, the, 
of the universe because the universe seemed to him now like a cold wilderness. He was scarred, and this handicapped him for decades. That father did the work of the serpent. That father lied, lied about who God is, lied about what the universe is about. And so we see that the destroyer goes about the world. Genesis 3, he appeared there and he assaulted our first human father. Remember how the devil's work snake bit fatherhood ever since. You think of how Adam was the the first father. And Adam, the first father, had the destiny of the whole family of mankind in his hands. His sons and daughters were depending on him. And what did Adam do with his performance? He shamelessly let them down. He subjected them to the fall. He let them fall. We could say metaphorically, he dropped us. That's what the first Adam did with his performance because the threat was if you eat of the forbidden fruit, if you disobey, you will surely die. And we all fell, fell headlong, not smashing our head against a sidewalk, but we, were, we all fell into sin. You will surely die. We will all be expelled from the eternal presence of the Father. We will fall into the lake of fire. We'll weep and rail and gnash our teeth forever on the basis of what our first father did in dropping us. That's what our father Adam did. And so there are dads like me, and there are dads like Nathan, and really every other subsequent father has poisoned his offspring with sin. We've all stumbled onto that same path Because other fathers then have emanated lies about God and his world, maiming and handicapping and wounding their own children. Yes, even the best of fathers. Even think with me scripturally of a a memorable gallery and parade of fathers who pass by. Yeah, Adam in Genesis 3, he dropped his kids. There's a man named Lamech in Genesis chapter 4. And Lemek himself says, boasting, I have killed a boy for striking me. You know that account there in Genesis 4? Some say it was his son whom he killed. What a dangerous thing to have a father like that. Beware of a father like that. But Noah was a good guy, wasn't he? Noah was righteous, but even Noah was subjected to drunkenness. Even Noah's drunkenness exposed his children and his grandchildren to sexual perversion. Curse be Canaan, right? Because of Noah's own drunkenness. But Abraham was a good man, wasn't he? Yeah, but Abraham, Abraham himself endangered his own wife by twice having Sarah be found in a Gentile's harem. And even we find in the 21st of Genesis that Abraham abandons Ishmael in favor of Isaac and this whole favoritism idea so that then another father comes along in the parade. It's Isaac. Isaac, he has a favorite Esau over his son Jacob in in favoritism. The, The sin of the father wounds the family. And then Jacob also has a favorite too, Joseph, the man with the coat of many colors. And and he also drops his family in many ways. And then Aaron, the priest, Aaron, he 
fashions the golden calf, and then his two sons in Leviticus 11, Nadab and Abihu, they fall into their father's sin by offering strange fire. What are they doing? They're following in the footsteps of the father who dropped the children. The Bible is full of fathers who've been faulty. Well, finally, Israel gets a king. Certainly, they'll have a good father then, but what do we see? Saul. Saul uses his daughters to manipulate David, and then Saul has a son named Jonathan, and what does Saul do with his son named Jonathan? He throws a javelin at him. Okay, David, the man after God's own heart, he becomes a father. Was he finally the perfect ideal of fatherhood? No, no, not at all, because David commits adultery with Bathsheba, and David murders Uriah, and David is a passive enabler in Absalom's rebellion. So there are bad fathers all throughout the Bible, too. You know what, Dad? You're dead, aren't you? My mugshot is right there in that gallery of bad fathers as well. I think back in 1987, I've, my firstborn son, he's your age, Wes. He's, he's 38 years old. And we were living in, in Dayton, Ohio, and it was a house where in the basement we had these rafters and I would hang these rings and I'd do my chin up from the, from the rings on the ceiling of the basement. And my son, little three-year-old Jared, he would say, can I do that, Dad? I said, okay. And he would hang and we'd say, let's say how long you can hang. And he said, he was kind of afraid. I said, I'll catch you, don't worry, I'll catch you. I put my hands under his armpits like stirrups and I said, I'm going to time you though. So I timed him and I turned and I was looking at my watch. He fell through. And his, it's not funny. He fell through and his face like a bowling ball hit the concrete floor. And there was blood and there was bruising. And you know what he said? Dad, you promised you'd catch me. What failure, what folly that I foolishly dropped my son. And I, I, I dented him and I lied to him about fatherhood. But my, my crimes... And being a bad father aren't merely physical crimes of not having quick enough reflexes. They're also spiritual elements that put me right there in line with Adam. I've had anger eruptions expressing my selfishness that my five children have seen. I have made promises that I didn't keep. I have, in some ways, even as a pastor, Lynn, as a pastor, I will confess there are times, and I reflect back, that I, I somewhat mortgaged off the preciousness of my relationship with my children to try to get them to adapt in such a way to conform to the standards of my most conservative member. Don't do it, Lynn. Don't, don't do it, anybody else who would want to be a pastor. Do right and let the chips fall where they may with other people in your life. And I know I scarred Jared and my children, somewhat crippling their worldview in many ways. And on Father's Day, I often say to them, I wish I would have been the ideal dad that I should have been. And, you, and, and some of you sitting here in these gray chairs, you, you know what I'm talking about. Some of you are sitting here and you're scarred with deep man wounds, aren't you? Or deep woman wounds. You've been inflicted by fallen fathers there's been maybe maybe your parents did discipline you corporally but maybe it's, it's true he who spares the rod hates his son he who loves him is careful to discipline him but some have been disciplined maybe in anger 
Or maybe some of you have been beaten because your father was a drunk and maybe there was even sexual abuse that's taken place that you know of and maybe some of you have been abandoned by divorce or by workaholism or by aloofness. I, I read recently of a man who said, my memory of my dad was that he was always grumpy. Seemed like he was perpetually in a state of just waking up from a nap and it just struck me that he just wanted to be left alone. That's the dad that rocked in the chair that he looked at. And so there are, there are humiliation and hurts here in this room and these gray chairs beyond imagination because the devil throughout the past decades, he schemes and he's been aiming flaming missiles at the core of fatherhood to make the institution of fatherhood to become a laughing stock dumpster fire, right? So some, when they think of fatherhood, they just think of chaos and calamity and hurt. And so our society today says fatherhood is just a disposable tradition. We might as well just replace it with an impersonal sperm bank. Because fathers are damaging. A sperm bank is safer and less disruptive because there's aching pain. And in this room right now, I trust that there is a father hunger here that attests to the existence of a desire. Oh, God, that there was a true father. Oh, that there was a true father. I'm just telling you, there is a true father. That very hunger attests to the fact, like Augustine says this, our hearts are restless till we find rest in you. Lord. And that's what I want to direct your attention here. Having seen the eternal pre-creation ideal and the painful post-fall real, just consider with me before we go home the wonderful gospel appeal. The wonderful gospel appeal. And I speak this to neglected, abused, scarred, orphan souls with the primal ache. Oh, that I had a real father. There is, like the text says, a father to the fatherless. He's there. And a judge for the widow is God in his holy habitation. There's a young man who was raised without a father. His dad left when he was two or three years old. He, he was then, oh, in about the first grade, and it just struck him. Oh, he didn't have a dad because he was at the Tulip Festival Parade in Holland, Michigan. And he had a first grade co-student with him whose dad lifted him up, put him up on his shoulders, and from that fatherly perch, he could see everything. He was above the jungle and above the chaos. And that little fatherless boy ached in his heart, oh, that I had such a dad like that to lift me up and carry me like that. You know what happened? The heavenly father chose to give to orphans to give to orphans who had been dropped by their first father, Adam, to give to orphans a true father. In fact, the blueprint is given in Galatians 4.4 when it says this, when the fullness of time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, under the law, that he might redeem us and that we might receive the adoption as sons. See, if you are here and you feel that you are fatherless 
and you feel that you are, are hurtling through this world, free-falling toward disaster because ain't no hands to catch you. The Lord Jesus was sent on a mission that those everlasting arms would receive you and adopt you and make you the apple of the eternal Father's eyes. It says in John 1.18, it says, The only begotten who is in the bosom of the Father, he became flesh. He dwelt among us, and as many as received him, he gave them the right to be called what? the children of God. So just consider this idea of this wonderful gospel appeal that, that, listen, our Father, our Father is adopting us. Just, 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 just ponder that. You see, instead of our being a prey in a predatory world, did you ever see Anne of Green Gables, anybody? Anne of Green Gables. The, uh, the, the Canadian broadcast system did a second series, and it showed the, the fuller picture, which was that, that Anne, who had gone to Green Gables as an orphan, wasn't originally received, but was sent back to the orphanage. And as she was going back to the orphanage, she was at a train station, and a man said to the train station, I have candy for you in my carriage. Come with me. But it's a creepy-looking guy, and he had abuse on his mind, and, and Anne ran away from him, a dangerous, dangerous world. And when she got back to the orphanage, she was there, and Matthew Cuthbert came back to the orphanage to heroically rescue Anne and bring Anne home and give her dresses with puff sleeves. He was a father to her, wasn't he? And this is what God is to us, a better than a Matthew Cuthbert. In fact, he would spend everything. He spared not even his only begotten son, he sent his son with a grocery list. These are people I want you to go into that dark world, in that, that cave of that fallen dark world. I want you to save these names. It says in John 6, 37, Jesus says, All that the Father has given me, I will lose nothing, but I will raise it up on the last day. No one can come to me unless the Father first draws him. You see, the Father will draw in his lambs. By the work of his son, Jesus came to this world. He was on a mission, wasn't he? Even when he was 12 years old. It says there in Luke chapter 2, they found him in the temple. And Jesus says, did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? Jesus was all business. Because the father had sent him on a mission. So that in the Jordan River in Luke 3.22, the father looked on. Jesus is now 30 years old. This is my beloved son. He's, he's, he's doing the mission I've called. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. When Jesus was in the middle of his mission, he said in, in John chapter 10, the father loves me because I lay down my life for the sheep. He's going to purchase that grocery list with the price of his own blood. He's going to atone for their sins and Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Think of it this way. No one comes to the, the what? <sighs> to be able to come to the Father as an adopted child. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so we see on the eve of Jesus' crucifixion, it, it, he staggers in Mark 14. Jesus says, Father, Wouldn't this cup, that cup was dark, 
black, intense, tar-like. It would make the Lord Jesus reel in agony and say, oh God, would this cup pass? He didn't say, oh God. He said, oh Father, would this cup pass from me? But not my will, but thine be done. And just a few hours later, Jesus is hanging on the cross. He's hanging on the cross. And what does he shout out? Does he say, my father, my father, why hast thou forsaken me? No, what does he say? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? See, Jesus is encountering at that point. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And now Jesus, for the only time in his addressing God in the whole New Testament, he addresses him not as Father, but he addresses him as God. Why? Because he's addressing him as sinner. He is under the punishment of sin. He is encountering the weeping and the wailing and the gnashing of teeth of outer darkness. He is away from the affection of his Father at this point. But then, finally, he says in John 19.30, it is finished. In other words, that cup was drunk down to its last drop. Alex, if only one drop was left to touch your tongue, you would weep and wail and reel for eternity. We drank it down to the last drop. Nothing left for you, Alex. So that in the morning when he says to Mary Magdalene, I mean, there's an orphan woman scarred by sin, if ever there was one, a woman who was inhabited by seven demons, Jesus says to Mary Magdalene, he says to her there, do not touch me, Jesus says to Mary Magdalene, for I go to, what does he say? I go to my father, and what? And to your father. Because what has Jesus just purchased for her? A dad. Now she... The, the, the far worse than Anne of Green Gables orphan has a far better than Matthew Cuthbert. She has a father purchased. Her, her adoption papers have been signed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I go to my father and to your father. It says in Ephesians 2.18, through him we have access in one spirit to the father. And that's why it says in Romans 8, 15, we can cry out with the spirit of adoption, Abba, Father. Christian, you ever had that? In your sorrow, you're flying through the air, and you don't know what's going to happen, but you have that Abba, Father, daring boldness to say, I know I'm a hell-deserving sinner. I know I deserve to split hell wide open, but Father, I know I have this peace of God that transcends all understanding that will guard my heart and mind in Christ Jesus. You see, we have this wonderful gospel that says we have our Heavenly Father adopting us. But just, just a little bit more. Come on, a little bit more. We also have our, our Heavenly Fathers carrying us. This, this seemingly chaotic, threatening place now loses its dread because we have a Father carrying us above the, the jungle and the floods of this evil place. There's this two beautiful passages. You ever, you, ever, you ever see Paul holding Nathan up on his shoulders like that? You ever see him walking around like, like this? I, I remember riding on my dad's shoulders like that and holding my kids like that. There are two passages that speak of this. It says in Deuteronomy 30-12, listen. The believing, the, the beloved God 
is the Lord. You dwell in security by him. He shields you all of your days between his shoulders. Look that up there in Deuteronomy 30 through 12. It means you, Israel, are, I, I carried you through the wilderness on my shoulders. Or Deuteronomy 131 says, I carried you in the wilderness as a father carries his son. That's us. We, we can be sure that as we go through this jungle of a world that's full of, of floods and snake bites and wolves and lions who prowl about to devour us, we're, we're on the shoulders of our sovereign heavenly Father. It says in Romans 8.28, he is causing all things to work for our good. So it says in James 1.2, Consider it all joy, my brethren, in your various trials. For the, the Father from him, he, 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 is the, he is the Father of lights with whom there is no shifting shadow. He is causing all things to work for our good. Remember that little story they tell about footprints in the sand? And how the, the, the Father is carrying. This is what God does for us. The Lord carries us. And all I'm saying to you is, you live in this world. It's 2022. I know the things you see on the news. I know the things you read in the, in the blogs and the things that you hear on the podcasts. And we can get panic attacks wondering, like I say, are we just hurtling through a universe that has an empty eye socket at its core? No! We are the children of God. And God is causing all things to work for our good. Your heavenly Father knows the things that you need. Be anxious about nothing. What is your life? Consider the birds of the air and the lilies of the field. Your Father feeds and clothes them. How much more precious are you? When you think of your school fears and your financial anxieties and your relationship worries, you're riding high on your Father's shoulders. Suck on that as a caramel, Christian. It's a sweet caramel. Meditate on your residing between the shoulders of your heavenly Father. You're not orphaned. You're a child of God. But just come to me lastly, just lastly. Just consider D, our heavenly Father catching us. Our Father's catching us. And by this I mean when we die. I saw, I met uh, Simeon. Man, Simeon, look at you're about 24, 25 years old. Just yesterday, I was, I was 24 years old. And now I'm 63 years old. How did that happen? It went so quickly. The text says in Hebrews 9, man is destined to die once, and then comes the judgment. There's a man in our church, his name is Glenn. He's only about a decade ahead of me. And Glenn got hit with cancer, and he was going to chemo. Not his old farm there in Holland, Michigan. Our church had people stay with him for two or three hour stints every night so that he wouldn't breathe his last alone. And Glenn would say to me at night, I'd say, Glenn, what do you think about dying? You, 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 could be, you, you could be gone by the morning. You could slip into eternity. What do you think? He says, oh, sometimes I'm really confident. but Sometimes, especially late at night, the dragons come out and I'm very much afraid. But he said, I got, I got one thing, and he pulled out this crumpled piece of paper that he had in his pajama pocket. And the crumpled piece of paper said this, if you confess with your sin, Jesus is Lord, 
and believe that God raised from the dead, you shall be saved. This is all I got, a promise, a promise from my heavenly Father. And I'm relying and trusting in this promise and that my Father is going to keep his promise. And it was only just a, a couple of days later that Glenn basically stood on that front porch of that old farmhouse and Glenn fell. He dropped. He free fell into eternity. And, and what is it that happened to Glenn when he breathed his last? Did he plunge into the suffocation of annihilation? Did he, did he split hell wide open? Oh, that's impossible. You know why? Because as it says in our text, a father to the fatherless is God in his holy habitation. The living God is a dwelling place. And underneath our everlasting arms. Jesus was Glenn's elder brother. He is the only one who ever went to eternity and came back to tell us about it. About what is there? What did Jesus say? Jesus says in John 14, let not your heart be troubled. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. All I'm telling you is this. Simeon, you're going to die. Just like I'm going to die. Just like Alex is going to die. But the reality is there are everlasting arms. And there are sovereign, fatherly hands to receive us. And so for the most enormous and monster of our fears, we can say, death I now deep." By thee, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? I have a father to receive me. And I just think of that, that hymn that I was listening to just this morning by Glenn Rice. It says, weak and wounded sinner. Starts out that way. You know how it ends? It says, with your final heartbeat, kiss the world goodbye, and then go in peace and laugh on glory's side. Fly to Jesus, fly to Jesus, fly to Jesus, and live. I tell you, fly like a giggling child. The giggling child, who's, you ever see him up there in the air? He's, he's been tossed up in the air, but he's learned to trust his dad, just laughing with delight. Let's leave this place. Let's fly to Jesus because the eternal God is a dwelling place. And underneath us are everlasting arms to receive us like prodigals and hang on our neck and say, welcome home, son. Welcome home, daughter. For we in Christ are the apple of his eye. Don't leave this place orphaned. There are adoption papers you can sign with a prayer to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Don't leave the gray chair an orphan. Believe right now. Believe right now. Father's Day, 2022. Become a child of God with God as your heavenly Father. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for sending your Son, sparing him not. We pray that some would believe, if not for the first time, but for the 10,000th and first time. May we all believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved.